All right, this morning for Sunday School, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Now this, this probably should just be for the Sunday School hour, um, but it'll probably end up <laughs> taking all day. Uh, the goal is tonight to get back to the Proverbs 30 uh, difficulties that we um, begin looking at on Wednesday. If we finish this in this hour, then the next hour will probably end up in 2 Corinthians, but we will see. Um, I want to start this morning. There's a lot of different ways to approach this narrative and approach this story. Um, and, but I want to kind of make the focus. We've talked about this story a little bit, maybe a couple of times, but we're going to kind of come back to it. Um, and we'll, we'll try to dig in and see what we can discover. But the phrase I want you to write down is redemptive reversal. Redemptive reversal. Now, it's a phrase that I had not heard before, but it's a phrase that um, I found in a, a thing I was reading. And they use the term redemptive reversal. All right. The, the way they stated is he would accomplish a redemptive reversal is the way it is stated. And as soon as I saw the phrase, it made me go back to the text, which they, they conclude they're looking at this text which, with looking at this idea of redemptive reversal. I guess the best way to describe a redemptive reversal would be um, in probably countless numbers of stories and countless numbers of narratives, uh, whether movies, televisions, or literature, um, there's always this idea that as the story develops, there is a, there's something bad that has occurred, and by the end of the movie, there is a redemption idea. The redemption idea follows almost all narratives, takes some kind of a redemption concept. Um, but the, it's the, the redemptive, the redemptive or the redemption in the story brings about a reversal of all the negative. Does that make sense? Um, it's a, it's a common, th a common w thing used in lots of storytelling. All right. There's some kind of redemption. I mean, almost all stories have a redemption uh, in it. Um, and then there's, it brings about a reversal. That concept is used in this, this narrative, but... We will take the concept, apply it to this narrative, and then apply it to a greater uh, understanding. And hopefully it will be uh, beneficial. We'll pick up the story in Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. And we'll start in verse 1. And we'll build an outline and everything from this. Everybody ready? Oh, that's, that's not good. Okay, is anybody ready? <laughs> okay, amen. All right, somebody, one person. All right, Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. And Jacob, let's stop right there. Now, we spent a lot of time dealing with Jacob, did we not? We dealt with the whole family situation, right? Jacob, who, who were some of the other characters in the story? Okay, Rebecca, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. All right, we looked at that family. And one of the major practical lessons we took from that, I don't know, three-month look at their life and, and a lot of the things that occurred was this, is that the Bible is describing the lives of people who believed in God, yet their lives were not perfect, 
right? It was filled with all kinds of problems, all right? And so we're in Genesis 37. We're going to pick up again another part of the story involving part of this family, okay? Because we start off with now... Jacob. Jacob is right here in the midst of this narrative, and he becomes key to uh, this story. All right. So now Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, and the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Now we're going to introduce someone else to this story, and that individual is. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Okay. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Okay. Now, very, we, we, we have at least a basic reminder here of some of the issues. Okay. We have Jacob, um, and we have multiple wives, correct? Now, we, we could go back into how all of this happened, but he ended up with multiple wives, and we know that there was an ongoing issue throughout the Old Testament. We, we know that, that obviously, we, we clearly believe that that was not the original intent, the original plan, the way things worked, but that's the way things happened. And things happened because, why do you think things happen like this? Okay. Well, that is true. Um, I mean, it's it's easy to I mean, it's easy to say we're we're flawed and we're sinners. That is a a, a simple answer, but there's a, a more specific reason. Okay. All right. This is a cultural phenomenon, and if because what happens? Okay. Well, cultural phenomenon are are. God's people immune from cultural phenomenons? No, they are not. They are impacted by cultural phenomena. And what's interesting sometimes about uh, Christians is we think our approach to cultural phenomenon is to be, I'm going to be ignorant of what's going on in culture and think that that somehow makes us godly. Like someone will mention something happening in the culture and be like, I don't know what that is. I haven't heard that. And like, oh, look at how spiritual I am. Ignorance does not negate Influence. Ignorance does not negate influence. Has everybody understand? If you've ever been taught anything, ignorance of church history does not negate the influence. It, things influence. So God's people leave churches and they live in a world where the influence comes in. It's not, sometimes it's just so weird the way Christians think. They think is, if I don't know anything about what's going on in the world, then I'm godly. No, what you should be concerned about is not your knowledge of what's going on. What you should be concerned with is the influence of what is going on. Just because you're ignorant of it doesn't immune, it just make, gives you some like, well, I don't know what's happening in the culture. Well, congratulations, you don't know what's happening, which probably makes you even more vulnerable to the ideas or the influence. Jacob is engaging in polygamous type situation, which obviously a large portion of the Old Testament finds themselves doing so, which is just a reminder that God's people are not immune to the culture. When we get to 1 Corinthians, was the Corinthians immune to the culture of Corinth? 
No, okay, they were not. Or were uh, Go from uh, every epistle written to a church located in a city, and the church was being influenced by the city. It's just the never-ending cycle of, 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 of Christianity and why Christians never seem to get a grasp of this. I don't know, because you think Christians would be the most knowledgeable about culture. Because culture would be the thing that we need to be most concerned about because it's going to be the thing that's going to influence the way we think but that's not the case so when we read that he has uh, you know that he has uh, multiple wives we we got that all right and now Joseph comes along he's 17 years old he goes he's uh, he's feeding the flock with his brethren he's with his brethren and guess what he does he brings his father an evil report now, we could say, is that a good thing to do? Is that a right thing to do? The wonderful thing about the Old Testament narratives is that I don't always tell you. They state the fact, right? They state the fact. Now, what's dangerous about that is now preachers come along and then they can, they, you, like, you can kind of preach this making Joseph, his actions somewhat questionable. Right? Or you could preach it to make his actions somewhat honorable. Okay? That's always dangerous with Old Testament narratives. If it doesn't, if it doesn't necessarily tell you what, how to interpret the action, sometimes you just have to allow the action to remain on the page. Right? Does that make sense? So he brings an evil report. Whether that's good or that's bad, I don't know if that's necessarily how we should interpret it. This is what we should take from it. Why do you think the author, and we believe it's obviously inspired by God, why do you think though the author or God would include this information in the narrative? Well, one, it's factual. Okay, it's going to at least establish that, that whether we believe Joseph's actions are right or wrong, that this action is obviously going to produce some problems. It's going to produce some problems. Now, should the brethren, if, the bre if he brought an evil report and the evil report was accurate and true, well, then it's, it, it, it reflects on the brothers because they should just say, well, yeah, you're right. We, we shouldn't have been doing this. But that's not typically the way it works. You're, but you're seeing, this is just a, a small hint. I know you just read right past it, but it is hinting at family dynamic is always a dynamic filled with possible problems, conflict. Because you bring personalities together and those personalities are different and you bring them together and you get conflict. This is hinting that there's... Now, has there been conflict in this family pretty much ongoing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's nothing new when we turn to chapter 37. We're like, oh, here we go again. Now we got Joseph, we got wives, and we've got drama because that's the way it works. But here we go. Are you ready? So that kind of introduces... The situation. It gives us some of the characters. Jacob, Joseph, and the brethren. The wives in this particular narrative won't be as important, but Jacob, Joseph, and the brethren are, are the brethren are the three major groups of characters, right? Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers. Those, those are the characters we're going to follow and we're going to see what happens, okay? Are you ready? Let's move on to verse 3. Now Israel 
Now, Israel, that's Jacob. Okay, everybody knows that, right? Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Oh, boy. Where do we back to? Back to favoritism. Back to favoritism. Favoritism has been an ongoing problem within the family. So our first point in our outline this morning will be favoritism leads to hatred and strife. Favoritism leads to hatred and strife. Now, that's nothing new um, if, we've been, if you've been following the narrative and reading the narrative which we spent three months working on, right? This is an ongoing problem, all right? And, and I want you to understand, this is very, very key. Um, I want you to think about this because when, when we turn here, this is not... Anyone reading, anyone who's been reading up to Genesis 37, you're familiar that this is not a new problem. All right, Let me, let's give you some basic ideas. Favoritism, hatred, and strife plagued Abraham's family for generations. Isaac favored Esau. Rebekah favored Jacob. That's Genesis 25, 28. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, that's Genesis 29, 30, and now Jacob favored Joseph over whom? All his children. All the children. Joseph is the, the one who is beloved. He is, the, he is the most loved. And that creates, obviously, some problems, right? <laughs> yes, and so, yeah, this creates all kinds of, of issues, okay? Um, and so, I, I, well, I think we're gonna. I think we'll be able to see clearly what happens because uh, in verse four, in fact, in fact, we'll see we'll see his favoritism a couple of ways. Look at verse three. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. All right, he loved him more. All right, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Right? Now, making him a coat of many colors, what, this, is, this takes the favoritism from an internal thought to an external action. And that external action is now going to be seen by whom? All the kids who did not get a coat of many colors. Agreed? All right. And how and what happens here? Look at verse 4. This is the key verse for this point. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Everybody see that? Favoritism leads to hatred and strife. Favoritism leads to hatred and strife. It happens in families, it can happen in churches, it can happen anywhere. And we see, right, I mean, that's, that pr that's pretty clear, is it not? They hated him. They couldn't even speak peaceably to him. They, didn't, they couldn't even talk nicely to him. They, like, he, he was ultimately rejected by his brethren because he was loved by the Father. More than them. Now, we could, we, could, uh, we could talk all day as the brothers 
actions right or the, the brethren action wrong. That's irrelevant at this point because the issue is the favoritism leads to, to what? To hatred and strife. It leads to hatred and strife. All right. Now, let's, um, in fact, in fact, this is very important. Um, well, we'll go ahead and re we'll go down to verse eight just so that we get an idea of what happened. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet. They hated him more. All right? Um, and he said unto them, here, here I pray you the dream which I have dreamed. Well, clearly they don't want to hear the dream. They don't care about the dream. All right? And we all know a little bit about the dream, right? For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood around about and made, right? which is the idea of what? Bowing down. He, they bowed down to his sheep, which, which is the indicator that what? All of you are going to bow before me. I'm going to be in a place of prominence before you. That's probably not a good message to bring to a bunch of people who already hate you, right? So they're like, so they, they really don't like him. They don't like him in any way, shape, or form. Jump down to verse 18. All right. Jump down to verse 18 because now we'll see favoritism leads to hatred and strife. Let's see where this hatred leads to, right? Okay, because uh, favoritism leads to hatred and strife and what becomes of their hatred, we'll see in verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to, to slay him. Now that seems crazy, Right? I mean, from our perspective, we read that and we're like, what a crazy story. What, what, this is insane. But you take a little favoritism, right? You create a, an, an environment of hatred and strife. Hatred and strife never just remains inside. It always ultimately shows up on the outside. And remember, this is a family. Well, when we always talk about the God of the Old Testament, the God of... Abraham and Jacob, right? Here's a family who, they believe in God, but their belief in God is not stopping all of this from taking place. And that, that's always the troubling thing, even in our culture today, it's, it's troubling there. So they decide to slay him. Verse 19, and they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Now, immediately right there, you get the idea that, that's just derogatory, right? That's, that's not like, oh, like they're saying that in a negative way. Oh, look, here comes the dreamer, right? Here comes dad's favorite. Here comes the one who thinks we're all going to bow before him, all right? Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Oh, he thinks we're going to bow? Well, what happens if we do this to him? We'll see if that dream comes true. Because if he's dead, we're not going to be bowing to him. All right? I mean, this is, you can feel, you can hear the hatred in them. Now, we know ultimately what happens. Ultimately, what do they ultimately decide to do? 
He gets sold into slavery, does he not? He gets sold into slavery, ultimately, because someone ste- you know, one of the brothers step up and try to stop the situation. But you can see the favoritism leading to all kinds of issues and all kinds of problems. And I think, and I think, we, I think that makes a little bit of sense. So let's just consider, uh, what, four scriptures... All right, let's consider four scriptures on the subject of favoritism because the Bible has a lot to say about the subject. So, and, and it, so we'll, we'll take, we, we, got, we got an Old Testament example of it, do we not? We got favoritism in a family. Favoritism in a family leads to hatred and to strife. I, would, I, I cannot 100% prove this, but I would think favoritism probably, dim, and I could be wrong, probably may manifest itself easier and more clear in a larger family than a smaller family. I could be wrong, okay? Larger families may, may differ on that. But it can show up in any way, shape, or form. And once it happens, every, someone's got to acknowledge it, someone has to deal with it, or it can literally destroy an entire family. It can, it can, just, it can be a bomb that goes off that is just, it's, it's a nightmare and how it goes down. And, and I, can, I, can, I can give all kinds of examples, but I think everyone should have to realize that favoritism in a family is deadly. Favoritism in a family is deadly. Let's see where else it can show up. Go to the book of James. Now we're going to take it from a family. James chapter 2. Everybody there? James chapter 2, starting at verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect... Uh, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your... All right, now stop right here. Okay. Now we're going from a family to where? To church. Family to a church. And there's something about our faith in Christ that, that should protect us. There's something about our faith in Christ that should protect us from favoritism, but clearly it doesn't. Because here, he's warning the church. For there come, come in unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there will come also a poor man in vile raiment. Okay, it's setting up an illustration. Two people walk into the church. One, well-dressed, well-to-do. You may even look out the window and see the car they pull up in. You're like, oh, wow, they've got some money. And someone else walks in who's basically homeless. Now, everyone in this room, no matter how much you claim you would not, you're probably going to have a different opinion of both. You're going to notice the difference. You may treat them differently. You're going to show possibly some favoritism. Right? And, you're going, and you may look at the homeless person who may look bad, smell bad. You may look at them with suspicion. You may look at them with, ooh, keep the kids away from them. Right? You may, you may view them as a possible danger. Right? Because we have a tendency to do this. Now, what is he going to go along with this idea? 
All right, so there are two individuals come into the assembly, right? Verse three, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place. And you say to the poor, stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, um, which he hath promised to them that love him? But you have despised the poor. Do not rich man oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, and we've had some discussions about that royal law and trying to figure out what it is. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself ye do well. Now that royal law seems to be referring to the law. Remember Jesus says that there was two commandments, the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love others as yourself. That's pretty strong language. All right. Verse nine, if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. If you have respect for persons, you commit sin. If you have a respect for persons, you commit sin. If you have a respect for persons, you commit sin. Now, this is not a sin that gets much attention, does it? This is not a sin that, no, 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 we'll worry about. Like, we may, we may spend all of our life trying to convince our kids, don't do this and don't watch this and don't go here and don't go there. We spend very little time saying, hey, do you play favoritism? Now, from a Christian perspective, we're not to play that favoritism in the church or anywhere else. You cannot do that. And it's easy for it to occur. It's easy for it to occur. We'll, we'll come back to, to talking about it in more detail, but I just want to get... So I want if, if there's a verse there, I would want you to really write down verse 9 and just remember that phrase, if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. If you, have, if you have a respect for persons, you commit sin. And in your daily life, in your work life, your home life, do you have favorites? Do you show a respect to persons? If you do, the scripture says you commit sin, not me. It's probably, again, it's not a sin that's going to get a lot of attention. But that's, that's because we do what with sin? We, we create a list of mortal and venial, and this one is, a, is as venial as venial can be. We don't even, this one, you're not going to get a conference. You're not going to be like, you know, you know, you can buy apps 40 days to overcome a porn addiction. You don't get 40 day app, an app for 40 days to deal with favoritism. Right? Nobody cares. But it's present. It happens. All right? First Timothy. Go to First Timothy. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. 
All right, everybody there? 1 Timothy 5, 21. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Doing nothing by partiality. Not preferring one over another. Man, that's... Again, the, the, the more situation... I cannot stress this. The... The more you find yourself in situations where you were, are with numbers of people, that's where the danger lies. Like work, like if you're in a job where you're kind of by yourself, you're pretty good. If you're in a job where you encounter multiple people, problem. If you are a student in a public high school, you're going to have all kinds of people around you, right? Now, from a Christian perspective, you're not to show favoritism or partiality. I guarantee you it happens. It happens at work. It happens in all. happens in the church. It, this is a, this, I mean, there's a, two passages dealing with it, right? How about Proverbs? Go to the book of Proverbs. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Well, nobody can influence unless you let, let, let them influence you, but that's a whole different sermon. I hate that whole concept. I got to avoid them because they're a bad influence. How? Nobody can influence you. I don't, I don't understand being influenced by anybody. I truly do not understand that concept. It's, it blows my mind. Okay. No, you're not going to influence me in any way. I don't get that. Like, well, how are you going to influence me? I'm in control of me. You're not in control of me. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you like. I don't care anything. But, but for some people, I guess they're very weak and like, oh, I got to avoid them because they're going to influence me. Well, as a Christian, you're supposed to be influencing them. So I think the issue is inside of you, not inside of them. But I do understand that there's some biblical warnings over that. I just, I've never understood it. But okay. Um. Proverbs 24, 23. These things also belong to the wise. All right, this is something that belongs to wise people. What belongs to wise people? It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. All right, and why? This is something that belongs to the wise. The wise will not have a respect of persons in judgment. Right? We're not gonna. We're not gonna show favoritism. Not going to do that. It cannot do that. It's a sin to do that. And then, one other, I think. Let me look here. Proverbs 24, 23. And then, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17. Deuteronomy 1, we'll go for verse 16 to get some concepts here of what's going on. Everybody there? Deuteronomy 1, 16. And I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man that is his brother and the stranger that is with him. You shall not Respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. They were not to show respect of persons in their judgment. 
And if that stranger is referring to the stranger in the land, they're not even to show a judge a respect of persons between those who are quote-unquote Jewish and those who are strangers, if that's how we understand that term, which is typically used that way. All right? They're not to show a respect of persons. They're not to do that. They cannot do that in any way, shape, or form. All right. So this is an Old Testament idea. This is a... New Testament idea. We see it at work in the family, and we see the, the, what it led to. And that's why God condemns it. God condemns it. Let's, there's two, let's go with this. There are two reasons God probably condemns favoritism, right? Two biblical reasons that God probably condemns favoritism. Let's see if you can tell me what those two reasons are. You've already been given one. What's the first reason God would condemn partiality or favoritism? It causes hatred, strife, and division, right? Obviously, right? I mean, it's a sin, obviously, but he hates it. He condemns it because of its negative influence. It's going to divide. It's going to cause hatred. It's going to cause division. It's, not, it's, it's going to cause strife. What would be a second reason God would condemn it? You've got to give me a theological, biblical answer. It's, it's, it's very simple. There we go. Good. Back to uh, we, all of our discussion about a Christian worldview. Our worldview is we see all, every person we see is someone created in the image of God. Now that image is marred by sin, but the image still is there in some part. Yes? Because even later after the fall... Remember the whole reason about God implementing a death penalty was because you're killing someone who's created in the image of God. That image is still there in some way, shape, or form. So what we have a tendency to do is we don't see individuals created in the image of God. What we have a tendency to do is see individuals through the prism of our own likes and dis dislikes and our own prejudices and our own ideas. Doesn't, we should see people not based off race, not based off gender, not based off anything else. We see human beings created in the image of God. That should be the Christian perspective. That each individual has an intrinsic value because they, the, they bear the image of God. It's just weird that, the, that in our culture, the, the lost world is all talking about the, the intrinsic value of human beings. Now, not the unborn. They got no problem killing the unborn. But once people are born, um, they, they talk about we should not have bigotry. We should not have prejudice. We should not. And it's like, why is that? Where, how did the church lose that message? How did the church lose that message? We have a tendency, let's be honest, we have a tendency to see people as... Um, Lost or saved, and I understand that there's obviously a biblical means for that, but just because you see someone is lost or someone is saved, someone is godly or someone is ungodly, you have to still see them as people creating the image of God. And so we, we have a tendency to, to do that kind of, well, look at how bad those people are. I don't want to be hanging around them because their bad could be my bad. Okay, Or maybe you should see them as a person creating the image of God who has an eternal soul. And if you're not light and salt to them, who's going to be? But what we have a tendency to do is we care more about ourselves than them. Say, so, hey, hey, if they burn in hell, I'm okay. I just don't want to get around them because, you know, they could rub off on me. Okay, I, I, that, that kind of mentality scares me to death that Christians would think that way. 
They're, they're a human being who's going to burn in hell for eternity. Either you don't believe in hell or you're more worried about your own little self. That's, that's a concern to me. That is concern. I, I believe you should be aware. If you are vulnerable to influence, then you must be aware of that vulnerability and fix it inside of you. I think vulnerability to influence reflects you missing something in yourself that you try to find in the approval of others, okay? Which I, I don't, I don't, I, again, I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand the power of influence. I do understand there's biblical grounds, but, I've just, but I'm saying that we have to care about the person. We can't just perceive them as a threat. Does that make sense? I, I know there's a balance there. So let's, let's conclude this point of the outline with a couple of thoughts on favoritism. I just wrote these thoughts down. You may agree or disagree. Number one, beware of perceived favoritism versus real favoritism. Beware of perceived favoritism versus real favoritism. Now, why is this important? Because sometimes... We are so very sensitive that we can feel like that person favors them more than me. Okay, that's sometimes a perception. Now, I know this goes against modern culture. I hate when people in culture say perception equals reality. I, I want to punch people, not literally, allegorically, okay, figuratively, Okay, don't want to literally commit acts of violence, just mental acts of violence. I hate when people say that. Your perception does not equal reality. It equals your flawed view of reality. Right? Just because you perceive favoritism doesn't mean that you are the victim of favoritism. You may perceive it. Just because an action takes place doesn't mean it happened because of favoritism. It could be a number of other factors that lead to it. So we have to make sure that when, as individuals, because we'll, you'll hear a sermon about favoritism and this is, how, this is how it'll work. Some people will think of it, oh man, I, I, was, you know, I lived in a home where the parents played favorites to that person or, or I had a job where the boss played. And you're going to see all the times you were a victim of favoritism. Sometimes you won't see how you, you played a favorite. You'll sometimes perceive yourself. Like it's always weird in preaching how people, you preach a sermon on favoritism and you'll have 12 people come up and go, I was a victim of it. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I think the, I was trying to get you to see in how you have committed it, but, but that's the way it works. So, so I want you to consider that you, just because you feel like someone is playing favorites and someone doesn't like you, you got to be able to make sure your perception equals a reality. There's perceived favoritism and there's real favoritism. All right. Just be aware of it. Just be aware of, hmm, is that person playing a favorite? And if they're playing a favorite, why? may not justify the favoritism, but you may want to go a little deeper than just blaming them for favoritism. Does that make sense? It, sometimes in a work, you can go, my boss favors that person versus me. Why, why, why could they be favoring that person versus you? Now, you could argue they shouldn't play the favorite, but, you know, it's, that boss may not be trying to follow the biblical model. Okay, he may be trying to follow a business model. And he may play the favorite to the employee who, I don't know, shows up early doesn't complain, is a positive influence in work instead of a negative influence in work. OK, 
okay? Get their job done. Right. They, so sometimes the reason there's a perceived favorite is because you, you're not doing your thing right. Sometimes you got to look to yourself. Does that make sense? Always look to self before you start playing the victim card. Does that make sense? And it can happen. All right. Number two. How we respond to favoritism is a choice. How we respond to favoritism is a choice. Guess what, everyone? You're going to be a victim of favoritism sometime in your life. Guess what? You get to choose how you respond. For Joseph and his brothers, they responded with, Kill him! Kill him! If he's dead, he can't be the favorite. If he's dead, this foolish dream can't come true. You get to choose how you respond to it. You get to respond. I'll, I'll give you a great, I'll give you a, a, an example from my own uh, life. All right. I wasn't obviously living at my home because of all the problems going on in my home when my mother died. All right. My mother died. We won't go through all the history of everything happened. All bad. At some point, I ended up back at home. All right, so there's my brother, there's my sister, and there's me, and there's my dad. All right, and we're like, there was this, there was a, it only lasted for about 30 seconds, but there was like this feeling of, maybe we could be like a real family. This, this could be kind of cool. Like maybe, 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 it only lasted maybe for 30 seconds because about 35 seconds later, okay, or about five seconds later, um, the door opened, and all of a sudden, my dad brings in this, who's going to be the new wife. I mean, he, he gets married literally standing in the exact same spot where my mom's casket was nine months later, okay, all right, which is just messed up in my mind, okay, but that, okay, so brings her in, okay, I'm like, you know, go find a different place to get married, not where my mom's casket was, you know, not, like less than a year, it's just the whole thing is just twisted, okay, so the door opens, here comes in, quote, unquote, the new mom with her, how many kids? Let's see, one, four, I think four kids. I think four kids. I, can't, I think four kids. I can't remember. I don't even remember. Okay, all right. But they all come in. Now, the real kids, me and my brother, boom, we get kicked out of our room to the new addition of the house. Now, you would think we would be happy, but the new addition of the house really wasn't finished. Okay. So we kind of just get pushed back into this like kind of new addition, right? We get pushed back and then it just becomes really obvious almost from day one that the new quote unquote mom wanted one person gone and wanted one person gone quickly. And that was me. So basically, I, now I'm trying to do everything I can. I try, I try, you know, try to join the Air Force. They take, you know, over a year before they decide to take me. They forget that they even enlisted me. They forget me, okay? I have to go back to the, I go back to the, to the recruiter office and it's closed down. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Finally, the next one shows up like, so what have you been doing? I've been waiting to go into the Air Force for like a year, okay? Like, you know, what's going on? And during this time, it was drama, drama, drama. So they, finally, when I go, they take my car, they take, my, they take everything from me. Every, things that I purchase, they take from me, right? And so I end up in the military. Go, I go without a car. I go without anything. Okay, I got, I, boom, I get gone, right? Now, before it's all said and done, the way it went down, the, one of the stepbrothers 
he gets to stay in that house till he was probably close to, I don't know, close to 30. I don't know how old he was. He, he lived there forever without a job, supported. So in other words, for her kids, man, they got, they got away with murder. I mean, drugs, everything else, and they got supported. For me, my brother, and my sister, it was pretty much, you got to go, right? Now, here's the difference. My brother and my sister have responded to this very day with bitterness, with hatred, with anger. I'm going to get mine. Like, you know, where they, they, they still believe they're owed something. The way I handled it was, bye. I don't need any of you. Don't need any of you. Don't care going on with my life. I got a life to live. I'm moving on. I had to make a choice. When you're... When favoritism happens in a family, when favoritism happens at work, when favoritism happens, you get to choose how you respond. You get to choose. That's on you. You can say, well, I'm the, I'm the victim. You may be the victim, but how you respond is your choice. You can't blame anyone else for that. Can I blame their favoritism? Yes, but guess what? I wasn't going to allow that favoritism to fill my life with hatred. and I was going to just say, Texas is in the rearview mirror, and I'm not coming back. Now, ultimately, the military sent me back, okay? So, but that wasn't my choice, okay? But, but I was going to go on with my life and make the best. I was not going to allow the favoritism of the past to destroy the present. Does that make sense? The, the wrong that you incurred, you can, you've got to choose. It's a choice. They made a choice, did they not? And their choice was to kill their brother. You cannot make that choice. Your choice has to be forgive, forget, move on. You go, I can't do it. I can't do it. Well, then just destroy your present. It's up to you. I was not going to allow them to destroy my future. I had a future in front of me. I wasn't going to let them destroy it. I'm going to move on. Now, obviously, I still know what happened. And if I talk to my brother or talk to my sister, oh, they want to talk about, they want to talk about it, and 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 they want to talk about it. And I'm like, stop talking! I don't care, okay? I could care less that it ever happened. I got a life to live. I got things to do today. If you want to live in the past, then please get out of my house and don't ever speak to me again because I got better things to do. Right? Because that's, but you know people who, who always, they always live in the present reminding the, everyone of the crimes committed against them in the past. You, you've got to make that choice. Does that make sense? All right, I know that may sound insensitive, but it, it's not. It's really actually trying to be helpful. Number three. Selfishness is the source of favoritism. Oh, this is the big one. Favoritism leads to hatred, strife, right? But the source of favoritism is selfishness. Why did Jacob love Joseph more than everyone else? Well, let's go all the way back. Why, why remember Isaac and Rebekah? 
Why did they play favorites? Okay, Isaac liked the venison. There was something that appealed to him, right? Right? Get it? Everybody understand that? So what was it about Joseph that Jacob loved? Son of his old age. There was something about that, right? Yeah, he waited a long time. He finally has the son with the wife that he wanted, right? Okay, so there's something like, this is my real kid almost, right? This is the kid I really wanted. Okay, there's, but there's something that appeals to him. Obviously, Joseph's behavior probably appealed to him. He could trust, obviously, he felt he could trust Joseph. I may not be able to trust these other kids, but Joseph's going to tell me what's really going on. That appeals to who? What? Himself. Favoritism always is based off selfishness. And it's hard in situations to not allow it to happen. It can happen to pastors. It can happen to anyone. Because if you're a pastor, it's easy to play, quote-unquote, a favorite, right? If someone is engaged, cares, talk to you, you know, any, they do any, they just act like that they care. You're like, well, you're my favorite, okay? I, if, if they're not here, then church is canceled. They're the only one I want here, right? Because, because you, you, you're, you're a human being, right? It's it, happen, it can happen to you at work, right? I mean, I was in placed in multiple times in the military, supervising countless numbers of people. I mean, at one time, I think it was 17 people, right? Crazy numbers of people. Guess what? It was hard not to say, that's the airman who I like, okay? That's my favorite, okay? Like, if I, if, I need, if I need someone to work with me directly, who am I going to pick? Okay, and it's hard not to... Or just, or just your, your personality, you're like, oh, I can't stand that person. I can't stand, I can't stand it, okay, from... Singing in the rain. Okay, but all right, but I won't go there. All right, so but it's it drives you like some people. You just like, oh man, really? That you're gonna give me that airman? Oh, this person drives me crazy. Now that favoritism can go in different levels, right? I saw this happen. This is a good example of favoritism played off in the uh, military. In the military, you have nine to 127 million rules. Right? So at any particular time, there's someone somewhere breaking a rule. You just got to find the rule, right? I mean, there's like 9 million regulations. I can go, if I go through the regulations long enough and hard enough, I can find a rule that someone is breaking at any minute of any day. I just got to go find it, right? Okay, so everyone knows in the military that the computers that we use are supposed to be used for official business. However, if you walk anywhere around the military at any given time, you see people on Facebook, people on YouTube, people on Amazon, they're doing whatever they want, and nobody ever raises a question, never a concern, never an issue. Now, my, my, I used to ask the question a million times. If it's only for official use, then why do you give us access to nine billion things that aren't official? Just shut it down and give us what we need access. I, like, I don't even understand. Like, you can't use this computer for anything other than this, but it has access to everything that you, like, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't understand. When the, when, the, when the military first gave us uh, computers, you had access to everything. And then 8 billion people in the military got busted for porn, so then they started blocking all the porn. 
Okay, well, if you could block that, why don't you just block everything? Like, it makes no sense. Okay, so, but I have an airman, right? Now, they, they called me in and they said, hey, we're going to give you this airman. Nobody likes her. Um, everybody hates her. Um, she's, she claims to be a Satanist, um, and we think she'll be good for you. I'm like, Okay, all right, all right. So I'm like, okay, I'm like, bring her on. I like, I got, I got no problem. So we got along. It was great. We had, we, everything worked out. We had great conversations. It was wonderful. We had, she was smart. She was, she was philosophical. Man, woo! I could, I could work with her all day. It was great. But one night, because you got to remember, this is back before everyone had access. You know, on a, nobody had cell phones. Um, so I can't. I think Marilyn Manson had come out with a new album, if I remember correctly, and she wanted the lyrics. So she goes back. She pulls up the lyrics on the computer and hits print. Well, she goes on about her business through the night and forgets the lyrics on the printer. So the next day, I'm at home, because we were always, always worked at night. She, uh, I get a call in the middle of the day, hey, you need to come up here. I'm like, come up where? You've got to come up to, to the hospital. Like, what? What's going on? Well, your airman's in trouble. I'm like, what did my airman? I'm like, what could my airman have done? Like, I don't understand. So I come in, I get called into the office, and they're like, what is this? I'm like, those are lyrics. I get called into work because oh, of the controversy that your airman used a government computer and government paper and government ink to print lyrics. And I'm like, oh, oh no. And they're like, she can't do that. So they were going to, to try to basically end her career for, for unauthorized use of a government computer. Right? So I'm like, oh, really? So I walked over. Right, right behind the desk. I'm like, what's that, uh, you know, the, our little cubicle areas? I'm like, what do you have posted there? I'm like, oh, that's uh, the football schedule for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. That was printed out on the same printer! <laughs> I'm like, you did not use the government computer for official government use. You used it to look up the football schedule for the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and you printed it out, and it's posted right there. Or you're going to try to end my airman's career for parenting lyrics? That's because they, no, they didn't like her. They didn't like her. They, and they probably didn't like what she printed out either. They didn't like her. That's favoritism. Now, now, sometimes favoritism can go where it can literally lead to someone trying to end someone's career. Or it can just be, I don't like people. But it's still favoritism. And why? Because favoritism is based off you. When you play favorites, who's it about? You. Is it about the person? No. The person that you're playing favorites to somehow brings something to you. They benefit you, so they become your favorite. We typically don't like that which doesn't bring something beneficial to us. Does that make sense? Favoritism is a... So I want to see, favoritism is destructive. It brings all these bad things, but you've got to understand the nature of favoritism. Beware of perceived favoritism versus real favoritism. How you respond is whose choice? It's your own. And selfishness is the source of favoritism. Now we're going to have to stop right there. I told you we would finish this entire thing this morning. No, we didn't. Okay. All right. No, no, we didn't even come close. Okay. All right. We didn't even come close. All right. We just got to point one in the outline. Okay. There's two other points. All right. So favoritism leads to hatred and strife. All right. Any questions about that? 
Everything else is kind of a sub-point to that. All right. So favoritism leads to hatred and strife. And I just want you to understand, I know what you're thinking. Well, that's not really that big of a deal. It's a big deal. And, we, and every, has, probably everyone in here can tell me stories of how you have either been a, played favorites. You can probably explain times where you feel you were... Okay, you were not the favorite. You were not the favorite, right? And then you have to ask yourself, was that perceived or was it real? And if you determine if it was real, why was it real? Why was it real? There could be a good reason. There could be a good reason. I, there was times in the military where I was the favorite. When I was in tech school and we were out playing war for that week, living out in the, <laughs> the wilderness. I didn't live outside and play war. <laughs> It was horrible. It was horrible. It was actually like outside and bugs and stuff. Okay, okay. But the person in charge, she, me and my, uh, my roommate, we like, we didn't follow any of the rules. And we were just like, we, I was like, if I got to live out here for a week in the woods, I'm going to make this the most fun I can make it. And everyone, all the other airmen were like, they basically became, they hated us, right? Because we were having too much fun and they thought that we were going to get us in trouble and everything else. But she, we, we kind of felt that we could get away with a lot because we kind of felt that she likes us. And we don't know why, but she did, right? Because we still did what we were supposed to do. We just tried to make it as much fun as we could. And so in that particular case, I was the recipient of being the favorite because I got away with murder, right? I mean, I got away with all kinds of things and other people were getting in trouble for things and we're like, but, 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 but. I'm like, hey, it's good being the favorite. Okay, I'm Joseph and you're not. Okay. I got the coat of many colors. You don't. Okay. Right. That, sometimes it's good being the recipient of it. And then sometimes I had bosses who did not like me. <laughs> it's not fair. It's so wrong. But again, who's, how, who's, who at that point gets to decide how they're going to respond? You do. You do. I cannot stress that enough. That's probably a, a, a valuable lesson here. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, it's, it's somewhat encouraging that the families we read about in the Bible are very much like us. It can be discouraging, too, that sometimes living the Christian life is obviously we're not going to always be perfect. And that... There's, there's even little things that we don't even give any attention to. Favoritism. I mean, who, who cares about favoritism? But yet your word does care. And I pray that we would just consider the, how much this is a, a sin and how damaging it really is. We, we've talked about it in the past, looking at the, the lives of Jacob and, and, and everyone. Lord, I pray that we, as we look at it one more time, that we really consider... Um, Consider this sin and look for it in our lives and repent of it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.